listener. We planned to have an episode including a feature from the Combine with Farmer Phil, but given that this August is panning out to be a seriously wet month, I'm not entirely sure what will happen. But anyway, let's suppose that Phil will follow on with a feature of harvesting sorts. And fortunately, my godfather, the surrogate grandfather that he is, at 88 has come to spend a few days with me and one of the things that I I tasked him with was to show me how to sharpen my scythe properly and give me an idea of of the best way to cut grass and thistles so he did that and there's a little recording of, of Uncle Jim's contribution to the Wiggly Podcast this month before we go to the scythe I'd just like to talk through my veggie patch this year vegetable gardening is always a bit of a journey there are always things to learn year on year one of the best is I always have tons of courgettes. And um, I thought, well, I'll just see if the chickens like them. So because you get these oversized courgettes, and I chuck the chickens some courgettes, and uh, revelation, hens love courgettes. So that takes care of the, the surplus courgettes. Time was I used to take a bunch of courgettes into the office, and the, and the girls used to uh, to fight over the largest ones. I'm not entirely sure why they, why they did that, because the bigger ones don't t- taste the best. But never mind, moving on. Well, I think another thing that's been interesting this year is I've grew a surplus of cucumbers. And the reason I did that is so that I could pickle those baby cucumbers. And I love gherkins. And I've not done it before. And it's uh, and it's turned out to be a real success. Uh, one plant has been particularly productive and I've had tons of mini courgettes off it. Sorry, cucumbers off it. And I've pickled those little babies. So um, I'm looking forward to, to feasting on those later on in the year. And brassicas, you know... I don't know. I, I've years gone by. I've just avoided them because it, it has to, you know, involve caterpillar control and pigeon control and all the rest of it. But this year, I, under a bit of pressure from my wife, I have to say, she's a bit passionate about the January kings. I did make a couple of um, frames and uh, and I've, I've covered the cabbage and the uh, and the purple sprite in the spring greens with a quite a robust mesh it's uh, it's a mesh that's used for strewing over unconsolidated banks so nothing can tangle in it um, but of course it's kept the butterflies off and it's kept the pigeons off and the uh, january kings to be perfectly honest are pretty much re- ready to eat now but a cabbage is a wonderful thing it kind of looks after itself even when it's dry you know you don't have to worry about watering it it just looks after itself if you can keep those caterpillars off it and any sort of quantity of, of mealy bug cabbage root fly things like that then you know it's, it's a feast to behold and it's uh, it's a it's a nice thing to be able to come out and pick fresh greens in the darkest depths of the winter months and the other thing I tried this year was uh, a new variety of legend, or a new variety of tomato rather, and that's legend. I, many of you may already grow those. Uh, but I wanted to use a variety that were more blight resistant. And so far, touch wood, they haven't had blight. And there's a whopping crop. In fact, I've feasted on some of those babies already on toast. Nice little slithers of sweet ripe tomatoes on, on toast for breakfast in the morning with far too much salt but uh, nevertheless a a fabulous way to start the day so generally speaking the garden's been good one real disappointment is the fennel a bit of a fiddle you have to start off in trays and things like that put it in the ground every single one bolted and i grew extra because they're they're relatively easy to freeze and uh, and then you can use them for kind of stews and casseroles and things like that even roast fennel is beautiful as that extra dimension and a a flavor and a roast in the winter time but never mind it's one of those things Generally speaking, things have been brilliant. 
So, without further ado, let's listen to what my Uncle Jim has to say about using a scythe. That sound is the sound of a stone going against either edge of the long blade of a scythe. Becoming more and more fashionable for people to use scythes again. Obviously it was the main implement at this time of year, harvest time, to bring in the crop. And I've got my Uncle Jim over to show me how to sharpen this scythe so that I can hack away at the thistles in the meadow. Is there an important way, Uncle Jim, of, uh, of getting a sharp edge on the scythe? It is most important. Without a keen edge on it, you might as well forget it. It won't cut anything much. Right. And these scythes, you see, are designed for that. To be ground with a grindstone and then sharpened with this. Right, OK. And is there, is there a particular edge you're looking for on the scythe? I mean, it, how do you check whether it's sharp enough? Well, you do that by peeling the edge there. OK, so, so, so what you're doing is you're, you're sort of rubbing your thumb, thumb against the blade at right angles with it, rather than along the edge, because, of course, that would, that would be tears before bedtime. To a certain extent, yes, you've got it. And how long will the scythe hold its edge? You know, oh. I, I, I suppose it very much depends on what you're cutting. But Certainly, but about an hour, I would think depends on what you've got in the course or if you hit the ground yeah yeah it's important to keep the toe of the scythe out of the ground if you drive him in the ground of course it's, it's up yeah it's it blunt so the toe the toe is the, the tip essentially the tip of the scythe of course that that that, 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 that be there yeah yeah, yeah okay and is this something you used to do so i mean you know is this something that you used to do years ago oh you i've know? done it yes i have done it <coughs> as a young lad and watched many of the older men doing it yeah because that's how it was done those days long long before reapers and binders and combines and things it was all handwork anyway and there was gangs of people coming to do that with the scythes. Yeah, you yeah. Probably see half a dozen. So I'm assuming there's a, there's a technique as well. Is there is there a particular technique that you use with the scythe when you're cutting? Oh, indeed there is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and presumably some people are better at it than others. Certainly, <laughs> but the best type of man is a stocky man. Tall men are all right. They've got to bend too much. Okay, a yeah. Stocky man is more down with it. And the whole point is that when you're using the scythe. You have to have a full sweep. Okay. You start round there and you finish out there. Right. So, and so you, so you're coming right along the by the side of your body and then yeah. sweeping right the way around to the left hand side. And the, the swath of whatever you're cutting comes out onto your left leg. Right. By your left leg. Okay. And, uh, row up the field, whatever. And how, how far is it advisable to keep the blade off the ground? I mean, where where are you aiming? <coughs> Above, above ground level? Well, it is roughly about two inches right. of a rough estimate. Okay. Of course, ground varies too much, see? Yeah. And you have to keep it in mind what you're doing all the while. Yeah. You have to keep your eye on the things and see what you are cutting. And uh, once you get in the rhythm, it is easy to do. Yeah. You can go all day. Yeah, I suppose it's technique. It's, it's like anything in life, I suppose, oh, isn't it? Well, it's, technique is, is very important. It's almost like they try to teach you today with this exercise. Right. Okay. It's a complete yeah, one, yeah. and it's exercised all your body, you see. Right. 
so the semicircle, if you like. Right. Okay. Let's, let's, give me, give me, a, give me an example then. Give me, give me a demonstration. I mean, you're, you're stood there. You're holding onto the scythe with one hand and the sharpening stone with the other. So I'm going to take the sharpening stone off you now. And uh, on this side, I mean, are there sort of right-handed and left-handed scythes? Presumably, there are. Well, not necessarily. I've, <laughs> I've never just, seen one. Okay. Well, maybe it's a yeah, left-handed is person. How it is. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, the scythe blade is right, quite far back at a relatively acute angle against the handle, isn't it? Yeah. So you're pulling into the grass. Like this. Right. So the cutting angle is pretty much directly in front of you, isn't it? The, yeah. the, 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 this, the area to your left, because you're sort of cutting from your, from your right, the area to your left isn't really going to be cut, is it? Oh, yes. Oh, it is? It okay. Right through to the edge of whatever the crop is. Okay. You start at the edge and cut out towards the edge. Right, right. And, and this, this, the handle on this side is quite short handle. I mean, you're, well, you're having to bend over now. I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you're of a course. tall fella. And if um, the, scythe, the scythe has to be set to suit the person using it. Right, right. Which in this case would set it right back. Okay, so yeah, there's a tie at the ah. Okay, so yeah, there's a tie at the base of the handle, and there are two holes yeah. in the in the blade of the scythe. And so what has to happen is that it has to come here. Little little um, well yeah. extender has yeah. to push the uh, push the scythe ah. blade further out. This thing needs to come across here more. Okay, so this thing being a uh, a, a kind of a rather large, fairly, fairly robust staple in the end of the handle, which ah. is holding the blade into the handle. But a lot to do with it is getting the scythe sned. Sned, that's a good right expression. Is that, what does sned mean? The sned is this handle. Right, okay. This is described as a sned. Right, okay. <laughs> but you see... It's Some a lovely ash handle, isn't it? I mean, it's oh, a yeah. handle that's been made specifically with a kink in it. They're stream-bent now, as ash is. They're ash generally, and they're bent with the steam, of course. Right, right. To get that. But I have seen people carve their own out of suitable types of boughs or branches or whatever. Yeah. I've done one, in fact, myself. So what would you prefer using these days? Would you prefer a strimmer or a good scythe? Oh, well, the strimmer is a wonderful thing today. It's taken all the effort out of this thing. Right. And you don't have to bother about sharpening for that matter, do you? No, you don't. need. What, which would be quicker to cut a field of wheat, though? A scythe or a strimmer? Oh, I'm, well, I'm a, a scythe, yes. Definitely a scythe. Means, if you're yeah. going to do that. Yes, a strimmer isn't any good for that as such. But uh, so far as here, I mean, we're, we're attempting to uh, to cut some of these thistles off and on a steep bank just below the house. And of course, they, you know, as I look around me, there's, I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of stuff now. A few butterflies as the sun comes out. Well, but the the realities of the scythe is very difficult to cut at this sort of angle, isn't it? Yeah, you would cut across the bank, see, Rich, right, up there and come down here. Okay, across. You would be all right to see. I'll show you now. Okay, yeah. Give us a, give us a demonstration. A little demonstration. <laughs> Where are you? Here we go. <laughs> Just give me here. Here yeah, we go. Don't, don't get in oh, no, I don't want to be in the way, do I? Yeah. Okay. Here you are. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's it. See, that's how it goes. So yeah, we're cut, so cutting across. 
at a, at a 45 degree angle up the bank really. that's it you and that's it. what's working and it, and it it's cutting so well it's amazing <laughs> it's the angle of the it isn't the angle set of the thing right, but no don't man using it but it all depends on how you set it right there's an art in there there is an art i think see that it's a pleasure to do and what was the main fuel that farm laborers uh, used to keep them going in those days oh that used to be something special right was called cider yeah. <laughs> as you well know <laughs> the old cider charlie remember him yeah i do remember cider charlie but yeah, you yeah. see they used to have a gallon jar them stone jars you've seen them haven't you yeah yeah the stone jar and they used to empty out into the horn for little men to have a drink and it used to go round the circle one would have a drink one have a drink <laughs> yeah and then they'd set off then and as they come back round near the jar, they would always had another drink. Yeah, yeah. Irrespective of how far it was or yeah. how short a distance, it didn't matter. Well, a lot of them would never ever make it home at night. <laughs> They'd be under the edge somewhere overnight. <laughs> Poor old boys. Yeah. Worked themselves to death, daylight till dark. Right. And that is how it was. And they delighted in doing it. And if they got together, then a group of them, they would be reminiscing of where they'd been and who they'd cut for and all this sort of thing, and mainly what the cider was like. <laughs> yeah. Right, Uncle Jim, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, all this talk of cider, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to leave you uh, do some more cutting and, uh, and pop up to the house for a cup of tea, I think. Yes. So I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you carry on. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> There you are. That was interesting. So it's always good to get Uncle Jim out, get that blanket from off his knees rather, and uh, get him to roll his, his sleeves up. He may be 88, but, you know, there's there's no substitute for exercise. But I saw it's, it's certainly a nice thing to use, and, and not something that Farmer Phil is particularly familiar with, rather than the, the nice ash handle of a scythe or a hook mould into Farmer Phil's hands. His combine seat has firmly moulded round his derriere. So let's listen to Phil and see what he's got to say about this year harvesting. Well I'm supposed to be recording a piece from my combine seat enjoying the sun in a hot harvest day combining the crops here at Lower Blakemere but instead of which I'm sitting at my desk watching the rain hurling down outside and we've had a couple of weeks now of some very mixed weather wet dry and altogether a bit of a nightmare for harvest. But Ricardo's comments, learning how to use a scythe, are actually quite apt because the problem of wet at harvest is not a new one, of course. And it's perhaps interesting to reflect on why a wet harvest is so difficult. And in the days when they cut the crops, cut the grain with a scythe, they then had to let the stooks stay out in the field and dry until the grain was dry enough to store. And if it didn't stop raining then they never got the grain dry enough. We have to get grain to about 15% moisture to make it fit to store without going mouldy and we either do that by leaving it in the field until the sun has dried it or we can combine it if we have to up to about 25% moisture and then dry it in the grain store 
and obviously that takes quite a lot of energy in terms of electricity and heat to get the water out of it and dry it. So that's the first obvious problem. And then you'll have perhaps heard people talking about the quality of the crops diminishing as they get subjected to prolonged spells of wet weather. And what this actually means in the case of cereals is that if the weather is warm and the grain is wet, it actually starts to think about germinating. And there is a test which is largely used on bread making wheat called a Hagberg test that is the first way of showing that a grain has initiated its germination procedure. There'll be no shoot visible but inside the grain it started to think about growing and that is essentially what is happening during spells of weather like this and that's why bread making wheat is particularly susceptible to wet weather because it loses its quality it thinks about starting to germinate and then it won't make decent bread. For us as seed growers that's quite important as well because obviously if the, the grain germinates out in the field in the wet conditions then the act of drying it in the grain store will then kill it which means that it won't be any good to grow when it goes on for the next farmer to put in the ground. You'll have also probably noticed that cereal crops, notably wheat, tend to go black if they're subjected to a lot of wet weather. And this is an indication that there are smuts and sooty moulds starting to grow in the ear and that the fungicide protection that we've put on earlier in the year has run out. And the black moulds and, and smuts don't usually impinge on the quality of the grain, but they are an indicator that the next set of diseases that you can get in the ear so that you can get some quite nasty moulds growing on the actual grain itself you can get what are called some pink moulds and they do impinge on the quality and they can actually make a, a sample unmarketable because it's not fit to feed to animals or humans for that matter but for the most part animals and so we can run into problems that way and then finally I suppose if you get subjected to too much wet weather, the ground actually becomes too wet to travel on with the machinery, which is a difficulty in itself. And so, all in all, it's not very good, but I am pleased to report that the forecast today suggests that after this spell of hideously wet weather, that it's going to dry up and we'll have a chance to get on. Because as, a, as we found in the last couple of years with wet harvests, delaying the harvest is survivable in terms of the harvest but of course it then delays planting the next year's crop and all the preparatory work that goes into that. That is what then diminishes the yield and causes us problems and we end up drilling later in the year and struggling with the weather on into October and perhaps even November and December. So in a nutshell that's what wet harvests mean to us and uh, whether you cut your crops with a scythe or a combine the result is very much the same if the weather won't actually give you a chance to get them in and get them under cover dry then you're in a certain amount of problems. I should also report on my sunflower crop which for various reasons we drilled very late. The first crop was eaten entirely by the slugs despite using a, a well targeted dressing of slug bait so we had to re-drill them and here we are in just starting the last week of August and my sunflowers are not in flower yet. So I think we can look forward to a fairly late harvest involving those so that that'll be a case of trying to find a little bit of weather 
sometime hopefully before Christmas to go and cut those off but it does have a slight silver lining because we will be able to have sunflower blooms for Heather to sell when everybody else's have gone over and gone to seed so perhaps with a bit of luck we'll have done something right. With that I think it's time to go and make the tea and hope that tomorrow it's going to stop raining and we can get cracking. Nice one Phil. It's interesting stuff, uh, albeit uh, slightly unfortunate, and I guess that the, the farmer's season is uh, always unpredictable, but that is one of the joys of farming, and, uh, you know, if it weren't for our unpredictable weather, what would farmers have to marry back? I'm sure they'd find something. just off to put the chickens away it's a massive moon it's been such a blustery wild day heavy showers not dissimilar to something you'd experience in April rather than August the owl's just coming out fantastic I'm just going to grab this tub truck that I filled with tomato leaves this morning on my way down before brekkie I chucked them in the compost heap an interesting experience on the compost heap the other day I was leaning against it for some reason there's tons of mites in the mat on the top it suddenly occurred to me that they were all crawling up my arm and I was lousy in seconds such unpleasant little things mites it's funny in life that the most unpleasant things are often the smallest <laughs> right and put the chucks away. There's a lovely little pipistrel just diving around the hen house. I've got a, a big galvanised tank at the top of the veggie patch here, just about four or five metres away from the hen house, and it's full of mosquitoes. So this pipistrel is probably monopolising on that. And the mosquitoes are coming out to play. She or he is taking them out of the equation. Fabulous. I mean, bats will eat hundreds if not thousands of mozzies during the course of the night. Well, thousands, perhaps a slight exaggeration, but a lot, certainly. We'll put our birds away. All tucked up safely behind this electric fence. Hey, girls. It's just reassuring that even though they're behind an electric fence, it's just, you know, shutting the latch on them at night time and you sleep better knowing that they're behind at least half an inch of board protect them from the ravages of the foxes and badgers anyway from me to the big fat moon looking down on me it's a bye bye